Hello, and welcome to The Gray Area, where I dispense advice and give interviews on relationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 33rd episode in a weekly series called Genesis of a Game Part 2. Last week's episode was a discussion with Juan, Carlos, and Laz from Fable Streams. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Monday, September 6th, and today I continue the discussion with Juan, Carlos, and Laz from the new RPG Genesis. I also have Tinsian here to give the perspective of an experienced gamer, and we have some footage of a game being played at DragonCon, some interviews with new players trying the game for the first time, and some other tidbits from DragonCon for you to hear. Before we continue, let's do News of the Week. News of the Week. Dead Island is released today for Xbox, PS3, and PC. I hear it's a fun game with a lot of bugs and issues, some of which are the inventory, uh, weapons being auto-replaced without your choice, and a host of other things that hopefully will be worked out soon. And it's kind of a beautiful game, so I hope that they do so. Driver San Francisco will also be released today for PS3, and it's the first Ubisoft game which will utilize the Passport system, which gives players a registration code to access additional online content. Since the code's a one-use time only, those who buy the game pre-owned, um, if they're PC or console, will have to pay an additional fee to access that content, so I'm sure they'll be thrilled about that. This, I'm guessing, is an answer to Ubisoft's DRM issues that they've been dealing with this week, uh, when I also believe Joshua Allen Clarence Octavian Rogers is about to address that. So let's go to Tech Talk. And welcome to another episode of Tech Talk, a segment on the Gray Area Podcast. This is Alan, your segment host. Before we get started this week, I'd like to thank my good friend and host, Janice Gray, for allowing me to record this segment for the Gray Area. This week on Tech Talk, I will be talking about Ubisoft's developer controversy and other events that occurred in the world of tech recently. Now, let's get started with our fact of the week. Did you know that the blue screen death is actually named a bug check in Windows terminology? Tech Talk and News of the Week. And here we go again. Deja vu, anyone? Ubisoft is in another PR disaster with one of its developers giving his stance on digital rights management or DRM. Martin Edmondson, studio founder of Ubisoft Reflections Limited, formerly Reflections Interactive, and now Ubisoft developer working on a new Ubisoft title, Driver San Francisco, stated, and I quote, You have to do something. It's just simply PC piracy at the most incredible rates. This game cost a huge amount of money to develop, and it has to be quite rightly, quite morally, protected. If there was very little trouble with piracy, then we wouldn't need it. It's difficult to get away from the fact that as a developer, as someone who put their blood, sweat, and tears into this thing, and from the publisher's point of view, which invests tens and tens of millions of dollars into a product, by the time you get marketing, $100 million, that piracy on the PC is utterly unbelievable. Mr. Edmondson also talked about the second-hand game market as well during his commentary. If people don't buy the game when it first comes out and wait and pay for a rental or for second-hand usage, then the publisher sees absolutely nothing of this. I see how much work, effort, money, and risk goes into the creation of these games. I think it's entirely right that everybody who's involved, the people who take the risk, should have a reasonable chance at financial recouping from this. If you want these games to be produced at the level they're being produced at, at the cost they're being produced at, everybody wants something for nothing, don't they? They are very, very expensive, a high risk. Huge risk, actually. Now I will take my reporting hat off for a moment and state my views on this quickly. On the subject of digital rights management, Mr. Edmondson, you are correct that it is within Ubisoft's interest to protect its intellectual property. However, developers need to start realizing that DRM is not the so-called wonderful success or panacea, whatever you guys are terming it now, that you keep touting it as. Is it a wonderful success at punishing the consumer, your source of income, and lifeline in the industry, or is it a success at stopping pirates from pirating your games? And now let's move on to what happened in tech this past week. An Apple employee has lost another supposed iPhone prototype in a bar in San Francisco, again. Hmm. The Linux kernel has recently turned 20 this year. Happy birthday, Linux. 
Microsoft has confirmed on its Windows 8 engineering blog that Windows 8 will have native mounting support for both ISO and VHD files. And IBM has talked a little bit about its Blue Gene Q supercomputer that it's building for the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. One interesting detail about the PowerPC processors powering BlueGene is supporting a new hardware transaction memory system instead of using traditional locking mechanisms via spin locks, disabling interrupts, mutexes, and critical sections. It looks like my time is up for Tech Talk this week. I'd like to thank Genesee for allowing me to be here on the gray area once again. Back to you, Genesee. Well, there we go. Thank you very much, Josh from Tech Talk. And now let's talk again with our developers. I have a couple questions myself about the game, and I think we're going to begin with the topic of flaws. So let's talk to Juan, Carlos, and Laz and see what they have to say this week. I was reading about the idea of flaws, uh, attributes that cause your character to be weakened in some way, or a physical flaw that might cause a hardship, which to me kind of struck me as like the kryptonite, if you will, to your hero. Uh, What are some of your favorite flaws? Uh, Let's go with you, Juan. Well, um, my current favorite flaw is Fatalist. And the reason for that is um, one of those, you know, pre-generated adventures that we've run at Gen Con and other places, and we'll be running at Dragon Con. um, We made, we wrote these adventures and we made pre-generated parties for the characters to, you know, sit down and play. And um, when I made the medic, I kind of, you know, people tend to pick the medic or the cleric last. He's like the healer and not very exciting. <laughs> so I wanted to do something to kind of give it a little bit of a twist. Um, and it actually ended up working out a lot better than I thought. I made the medic have the fatalist flaw, which doesn't mean that that he thinks that, you know, he'll die any minute, but he just basically walks around telling everybody that, you know, our chances aren't that good. We're doomed. You know, this isn't going to work. And he just doubts everybody. And, Game over, and the, man. Yeah, exactly right. And the the players at Gen Con just grabbed that and ran with it. And I mean, they became, um, you know, the, the the standout characters in the adventures. And I really, really enjoyed seeing that develop. And what the flaws do is they're not like the you know critical like kryptonite to Superman where it could kill him kind of thing. I mean, sometimes they are, but in most cases, they're minor things that can like they just give you like little quirks. But they allow the players to kind of get more into a character and really allow them to develop or flesh out things about the character that they see or they like. See, I love the senior and child option as a flaw because (laughs) how cool would that be to be like, you know, a really old man and then you die and resurrect as a fate. How awesome. Or a child and you grow up and then suddenly you're 18 and you're epic, you know? I like that being a fate or a flaw. Laz, what's your favorite? Oh, boy. Um... There are so many. Um, give me a second to think. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos, did you want to go? Oh, yeah. Well, you know? I'll tell you, one of my favorite ones um, is obese. Um, <laughs> oh, that was the one I was going to say, Carlos. John the Okay, I'll think of another one. I, 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 love playing, I love playing worthless characters that actually get, <laughs> get to do, do something that no one really expected. And uh, obese is a great one because I, I love being able, ha- having to run through, you know, through whatever, let's call it a dungeon and play acting like my guy's out of breath, <laughs> right? Or or if I, after an hour of, of stressful physical activity, there's a chance that you can die of a heart attack. It, it just, it adds an element to the game that, that it, you know, it just adds dimension to your character. Mm-hmm. The other one that I, that I really love, um, so I have two favorite ones, is you have a terminal illness. There you go. Um, and in the terminal illness, is every time you start the game, you can. Oh, and I have three favorite ones. I'm sorry. So every time you start the game, every time you start the game, you draw a fate card. And if you draw what we call the uh, the the dark sister, and we can talk maybe later about what that means. But if you draw the dark sister, that means that at the end of the game, your character dies. Um, and so there's there is a a, a uh, you know you have to accomplish whatever it is that your character needs to accomplish before the game ends, um, or he dies. So there's always that thrill of of um, of the potentiality. Now the the chances of that happening is small, but it could happen. Then the other one, and I will say that the other ones is the child, and and either that or 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 being you know f- very very physically ugly. 
um, <laughs> just anything that adds dimension or, or um, something, some unique characteristics to your character is, is very special. And I think that's what flaws overall, what they do. All right, Lance, you have time to think. That's right. We stopped for 11 Zs. <laughs> do you have time, Lance? <laughs> no, I was going to say, probably hyper-cautious. I tend to, uh, you know, when, I, when I'm creating non-player characters, I tend to uh, use that quite a bit. I just like it because it, uh, the player, the player has to, you know, in combat, uh, they have to draw two fake cards and use the lower one, <laughs> so they're always tending to go dead last. Um, and then, and then during role playing, you know, they they really tend to, uh, you know, to live it up as far as that whole hyper cautious thing. Oh no, let's not go this way, or let's think about it, or you know, and then the whole party they kind of do like a little comic relief thing for the whole party. So that's one of my favorites. It sounds like giving one of your characters uh, that has the obese flaw the power of flight and just trying to picture that. In your mind. <laughs> With wings, uh, right? You ha- he has wings. Is it, is wing, wings, are, wings, <laughs> wings are heavy-duty balloons tied to uh, various limbs. No, actually, in in Gen Con this year, um, we had a we had a guy who was a uh, an ex-army guy that had been in a tour of um, uh, in Iraq and a tour in Afghanistan, and he played a uh, a super heroine um, who had the f- the flaw of boorish, and I I remember that because. <laughs> Lazaro loves playing boorish characters, and and this guy played it to the hilt and just drove me insane. <laughs> and one of my favorite, one of the characters that they had to interview that was a suspect in in this in this adventure was a paraplegic, and um and this is not funny and it's not politically correct, but the guy um, you know the the paraplegic became very belligerent as to why they were questioning him, and and this um supposed superhero started poking at the paraplegic. Right. And, and just harassing him. And the guy started twitching. And, and it was just like everyone in the table couldn't believe what this guy was doing. It became a very funny situation in a, in a very um, uh, unpolitically correct sense. But he played it to the hilt. And I think that was, that was one where, you know, a superhero that's boorish was very mm-hmm. was actually something that, you know, you don't see every day. Let's talk about the debate for uncanny abilities. Um I'm going to ask uh, Laz to talk about what uncanny abilities are. And apparently there's the the question back and forth if uh, once you make an attempt and it's unsuccessful, if you can abandon that or if that's not really something that's fair. And it kind of reminds me of uh, when you play Magic the Gathering, kind of looking for whose spell was last in the chain well, of events. So talk about that, Laz. And, and are you oh. for the choice to abandon or against? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of leaning towards... You know, I'm I'm very much an and guy. Let's do this and this. You know, so I'm, I'm I've kind of been leaning to why not just have both? You know, let everyone kind of decide in their own game. You know, which way they want it. That's a cop out. Because uh, because it, it, <laughs> it might be more appropriate depending on what kind of you know world they're adventuring in. You know, um, I would say if it's a if it's a more a more quote unquote magical world, you know, or a world where the uncanny is more common, then you probably should, you know, you should probably should have it where they can decide whether it happens or not. Uh, if, if things are a little stricter, then no. You know, so I, I would kind of, I'm leaning towards that actually, I'm just leaving that as an open option. Juan, let's go to you. Um, I think there should be a penalty. If you try to use a power and it backfires on you, there should be some penalty for it because otherwise it gives the players a sense of invulnerability that they shouldn't really have. But you lose your turn, and you can't act. You can't even move. <laughs> so, Carlos, you feel take... like that's the the, the yes. uh, penalty for you? You lose your turn. Yeah, so you're getting a little window into our long conversations about... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, no, no, yes. Um, I would say probably the uh, not being able to you know, stop it would probably be the one that would make the most sense, you know, to, to make, to make it kind of on par with the other two types of uncanny abilities. Because we, we have body, mind, and spirit. They all work very differently. You can have one or none, you know, however you want to run your game. Um, but you asked what were uncanny abilities. Uh, Mm -hmm. they're basically that, the uncanny, you know, that, uh, that whole sense of something, you know, supernatural or beyond the natural order, you know, for whatever setting we're talking about. It could be different depending on the setting. Um, but really, you know, focusing in on that word, uncanny. I don't, I don't I think it was Freud who said that, uh, you know, that that's basically what it is. Something that's un, you know, unnatural, you know, beyond the natural order. It could be superpowers. It could be magic, you know. Um, it could be very high technology, weird science, <laughs> 
you know, kind of really anything that's out of the norm, you know, uh, as far as, uh, um, you know, the way we live here on Earth, for example, you know, in our day-to-day lives. So it really depends on the campaign. Um, we do have three different ways that you can play with it. You can have one or all of them in your game, depending on how you want to play. Um, we have body, and they, and they all derive from what we call arcanum, which is kind of like the... Uh, Let's say the um, the blood of the universe. You know, uh, it's ba- basically what fuels all of existence. Um, that comes from the pool of destiny. You know, it filters out into the multiverse. So, so somebody with a body, for example, uh, who has the body uncanny ability. You know, they basically are using their force of will and their own essence, the arcanum in their own body, to you know create whatever effect it is. So, if they try an effect and it doesn't work, it hurts them. You know, so their penalty is they take damage. <laughs> you know, they could even possibly kill themselves. You know, if they're if they're using uh, power that way. And that's the one you were talking about with the debate. Okay. Um, but we also have mind nexus, which um, mind nexus is very straight to the point. You know, you're basically using your mind. You know, whether it's magic or whether it's psionics or whatever the case may be, to manipulate Arcanum. You know, and that works on a straight point system. You know, you want to do this. This is how many points it is done. And, of course, the problem there is you can run out of points. And once you do, you're out of luck. <laughs> and then the last one is spirit, which is basically you're, like, channeling the arcanum, you know, from some external force. It could be a god. It could be a philosophy, you know, the force, you know, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, so you basically channel it. The problem with that one is that it's not always reliable. You know, it will work sometimes, and sometimes it won't. You know, so that's kind of like the trade-off on that one. So very different styles, you know, and you can mix and match them. You know, in any particular campaign. Okay. Carlos, I'd like to talk about the powers lists, basically things you can do with your character. I really like the creative options of ensnare, extra limbs, which is totally cool, life support, necrotic transfer. Um, I'm trying to understand when I read it, affect solid forms. That was a little confusing to me. It kind of just said the sword you're carrying becomes more real. Help me understand what that is and tell uh, the listeners a little bit about the powers list. Sure. So, um, you know, the effect solid forms really is is meant as a as a as a way for characters that are that have the ability to go ethereal uh, to affect things in the non-ethereal world, right? In the real world, um, when you go ethereal, um, the advantage to that power is that um, basically you can't be hurt, right? You're um, no, normal weapons cannot touch you, um, but the reverse is the, is the, is also true. Uh, you can't hurt anyone. You can't interact with the physical world. You can see it, but you can't touch it. Um, the affect solid forms allows someone that is ethereal to be able to affect the physical world, almost like a ghost-like ability, if you will, that you're able to, you know, uh, strike at a, at a human being and actually cause damage with, you know, with a weapon or with uh, your bare hands. Okay. Um, my so that's sword? that's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's that's really what that power is. The premise behind all of our powers is that we really wanted to also walk a fine line in in presenting powers that were general enough that allowed you to sort of pick the effect of um or what your your power looked like, the special effect, um, but make them general enough that you could really accomplish anything that you could possibly imagine. At the same time, some of the other games that we have seen um, that actually try to do this um, do it in a very general way and, and in a very complicated uh, way. So what we tried to do is also not only allow you to basically build a character uh, to use powers in whatever way you want them to, but also give them very definite effects. Um, and that's what our tier system is all about. Um, our tier systems run from 1 to 5, and, and some powers can be used only at tier two or three or three to five. But the concept there is that you they have some very finite effects that they can do. So for example, if you're looking at the uh, attack range power, um, you can make that be pretty much what you want. You can fire lasers out of your eyes or you can fire ice um, or, you know, or, um, you know, magic missiles, whatever you imagine it to be. Um, you know, the attack range power takes that form, um, yet it does a finite amount of damage and a finite amount of effects depending on the tier that you choose. And that's pretty much um, uniform um, all across all of our powers. And they tend to be general, but the, the, the damage or the effect that they have on either objects or other creatures uh, tends to be finite. So that's uh, we try to walk that fine line. 
that's part that I really enjoyed as far as a player reading this for the first time was your descriptions for your powers are examples of situations, very, very brief examples of situations. And I really appreciated the fact that, okay, your swing power, it could be a sort of Spider-Man type or you reach out and there's a vine. I, you know, that sort of made me go, oh, maybe I won't have an entire long list of something to read that's really descriptive, but this really opens up my mind and does give me the ability to go, gosh, what can I do with that? I really appreciated that. That's And that's exactly what we want you to do, is to be able to create um, your vision of your character uh, within the confines of rules so that everybody knows what's fair and how to do something, right? One of the superhero characters that we had at Gen Con this year um, was kind of like uh, based on on the Medusa character from Marvel, right? That she's able to swing just by her, you know, using her hair. And she had uh, an ability to link those powers so that not only could she swing with her hair, but she could also ensnare people with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, just by activating that one linked power. So um, the system is made to be very, very versatile. Now, depending on the type of game, if you have a very, um, you know, modern game so something like um, the the um, Black Ops Iran game that, that Juan is running at Dragon Con and that we ran at Gen Con, um, uncanny abilities don't always play a big role there. Um, they may play in, you know, in advanced technology or in some of the uh, weapons, you know, special weapons that you might use. But overall, uh, those type of more modern earthly games will rely on a character's uh, abilities and facets um, as opposed to uncanny abilities. But then you get into... Um, you know, a high fantasy game where um, the mind um, uncanny ability plays a big role with wizards or spirit plays a big role with, your, your, you know, your standard healer or cleric, if you will. Um, so it, it's, it's, the powers are really meant to be very dynamic uh, and, and be applicable across any genre that you want to play. Yeah, I really like the versatility of these. I mean, looking at the necrotic transfer basically reminds me of like Rogue from X-Men. I would love to turn and touch our tank Opie, steal his giant strength and tank. How cool is that? I mean, there's so many things you can do with these powers. It's very neat. I like the wide range of weapon choices you have. Um, Let me name a few of my favorites here. And then I'm going to ask Juan to um, talk about maybe how some of these can be used from the entire fantasy through tech genre without having to change them too badly. I'd like to see how you can convert a weapon for all of them. Uh, The Cestus apparently can include anything from simple sharpened wire wrapped around your hands to specially made gloves, which is really neat. Uh, Basilard. Larger than a regular dagger, double-edged blade, characterized by a crescent-shaped pommel and crossguard, and the knee app, which is really neat. Neur- <laughs> neurologically linked combat prosthetic, uh, which, wow, I have to try to visualize this a little bit. It's supposed to be a state-of-the-art prosthetic designed to get soldiers back in action after losing an arm. Self-contained assault rifle that makes up most of the un- arm and hand. I like that. <laughs> so talk, talk about that a little bit, Juan. About the kneecap specifically? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, start with that and then talk about the weapons. Okay, so I think the question is, how do you take something like the kneecap, which is clearly sci-fi, and put that into a fantasy setting, right? Definitely. Uh, um, Well, the quickest way I I would say to do that is you can make it instead of, uh, you know, it can be like an enchantment that, that goes... Um, that is grafted onto someone's arm and instead of shooting, you know, solid projectiles or energy projectiles, it can shoot, you know, bolts of arcanum, which would essentially be, you know, uh, magic projectiles, if you will. And, and then the damage and everything else is the same. And the way the mechanics, the way the weapon works is the same. So you really just have to, as a game master, all you have to do is convert it to, you know, what it looks like and how it works, but then the damage and the resolution and everything else is identical. You don't roll any different dice or you don't have to do anything differently than you would in either setting. Yeah, and, the, and it depends a little bit on the campaign, too. I mean, it's not like there's a prime directive, you know. If you, if you have some kind of game where you're cross-genring and, you know, you've got a bunch of uh, rebels that are just going to go to some fantasy castle and lay waste, you know, <laughs> with modern technology, they can do that, too, you know, if they want to. Uh, what I was going to say is that something that is also fundamentally part of our mythos, if if you, you, you know, if you if you play within that mythos, is that um, you know fates um, can see each other as who they truly were in their past life. So if you um, if in your past life, the last life that you lived to fulfill your destiny, you were a cowboy, 
um, when you're in sanctuary, everybody sees you as a cowboy, as you look, you know, just how you look. When you enter um, creation through the pool of radiance, uh, you sort of transform into a being of that particular genre. So if you take the kneecap, for example, uh, and you, you go from your sci-fi setting because you were, you know, some type of cyborg in, um, in your world and you come back to Sanctuary and now you have to go into a, um, you know, Call of Cthulhu-like uh, pulp action game, when you transform, um, you know, you may just have a, a mechanical peg leg um, that has a, a built-in, you know, um, Derringer or a built-in rifle to it, right? Um, so when you when you walk through the pool of radiance, the idea behind our mythos is that you you are actually seen in a different fashion um, by members of of that world. But if you encounter a fate within that within that universe, um, even outside of sanctuary, they see you for who you really are. Okay. Well, and Carlos, I know Pool of Radiance is one of your favorite games, but it's the Pool of oh, Destiny. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I really I, wanted to call it the Pool of Radiance, but it was taken. <laughs> I, I, I personally want to thank whoever whoever was the one that uh, put in the Meteor Hammer into the uh, weapons list. I, I really thank you for that because that's you know, pretty awesome. No, I was just going to say that was Jennifer Sims. Uh, she uh, – She's very creative, you know. She's done um, what do you call it? Uh, like the official game manuals for like uh, strategy guides, yeah. yeah, strategy, strategy guides guide. for like a World of Warcraft and things like that. And so she's really good at that. She, she's one of our our freelance writers that actually contributed a lot um, to to the uh, to the weapons and equipments chapter. Um, you know, one of the biggest problems that we had with that chapter is that we didn't we didn't want to stop including weapons um, because <laughs> in a universal part. game, you, can, you know, because we're I, you know all of us are video game fans, and so you know when you when you think of of all the weapons that are available to you in like Gears of War or um, in some of those or Crisis Two or or some of those you know fun uh, shooters, um, that's what we wanted Genesis to be very much like that have weapons that were that were not so um homogenized that they were that they made a difference and each and weapons were 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 of consequence right just one rifle is not the same as as any other rifle and we kind of went back and forth and and obviously as we as we continue on and expand the game um we want to create a lot of weapons so it's a lot of neat futuristic weapons in in the book um but we wanted you know we wanted a hundred more but um we, we couldn't fit them all in a book, but that doesn't limit us, you know, in the web or, or in future accessories. Um, but that's really what, what, what we want to make. We really want to make weapons that are unique and really define your character because characters are, are often, um, you know, I remember, you know, the, the big guy with a, with a war hammer in Conan the Barbarian, right? He, he looked just like Conan, but he was different because he had a huge hammer, right? So we, we really want to make weapons that are unique and, and fun. Because I think that also appeals to the video game audience who, you know, my son walks around in Call of Duty and picks up every weapon that he can find just to test them, right? Mm -hmm. It seems like uh, you, you spend an awful lot of time building your character in the beginning. Um, you have lots of choices for armor and weapons and various other things that you can spend your arcanum and, and other points on. Are there drops in the gameplay like there are in maybe a more traditional like D&D setting? And how do you determine uh, which character will get various things if none of them have a specific class uh, so that you have like leather limited to a certain type of character versus plate limited to a certain type of character. Um, how do you determine, can anyone wear any armor or, or how does that work? Yeah, at, well, if you have the gre the, the flaw uh, of being greedy, um, you get everything. <laughs> <laughs> you argue about it. Um, but otherwise, um, that, and that, that that's something that, that we'd really, really want didn't didn't want is that oh wizards can wear armor because well why well because wizards can wear armor um <laughs> you really can pick and choose and be an act uh in whichever way you want right if you have an indiana jones character um and he has a whip um and he's not the type to pick up a um you know a, a gatling gun or then he won't right um because it doesn't fit his character his background which is a a, a topic that that i think we, we haven't discussed, which is that concept and background. Concept and background is very, very important when you create your character because it defines who you are and what you like. Since we don't have classes, um, you, you kind of build your character based on that concept and background, your picture of who you want, right? If you want to build, um, you know, a Luke Skywalker type of character, 
um, then you're going to stay true to that form and pick weapons and powers and abilities that are that really mimic a Jedi master as opposed to um, you know a wizard, for example. Um, so so really concept and background governs that to an extent, but it doesn't limit you. The game doesn't have limits if you don't want them to be there. Um, but your own concept and background will limit um, whether you want to use a weapon or not. Now, on the other side of the coin, you know, if a particular game master wants to have things like that, he, by all means, he can. <laughs> you know, if he wants to completely mimic the D&D, you know, uh, your Vale Valley, I mean, he can do that. You know, where wizards can't wear armor and etc. You know, right. I mean, they, they're welcome to do that, too. Yeah, and and guess and future settings will, will may may have things like that if it fits within the the, the setting on the world, and that's a very good point, Lass. Um, and nothing prevents you from doing it, but from from a game mechanics perspective, we don't have that that type of limit. It it would really be limited by by your campaign style or your genre or something like that. Yeah, and we really we hope people will really enjoy the Genesis Mythos um, and that whole unlimited potential idea, you know, and, and really like take characters where no characters have gone before. <laughs> Gen Genesis can uh, attest to the fact that I've got uh, a couple hundred RPG oh, books Lord. in uh, the house, and a large a large number of them are are the quote unquote fluff books, the world history books, the um, you know, this is the race book for this and that. A lot, lot of them from the Palladium Press stuff. I think so single-handedly financed was, Palladium for the yeah. last year and a half. <laughs> I, prob I probably, have, happy. <laughs> I pro probably, probably have helped keep a couple companies, including Mongoose, from going uh, under. Although they eventually <laughs> did, but um, I got to the point where you started talking about the Dark Sister and describing, you know, the the child and so forth. And that was the point where I finally put the uh the notion in my head that you know what i could run this campaign in so many different ways and this would actually work really well for my play style and looking at reading looking at all the text and reading it and wanting to actually be like no i want to read more in depth into this section so it made me look forward to down the line if i play this game and i will uh for future expansions you know, oh yeah, as, as things as things develop. So, so you 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 brought me in. That's that's the piece that brought me in versus the rules mechanics on strength. Yeah, and and the thing is, um, one of the things we've heard from from experienced game developers is they're like, don't release a product without a bunch of follow up. So what we're doing, I mean, we're still neat. This is still the alpha phase, um, and we're gonna release. Even though we're in alpha, we're gonna release, as Carlos mentioned earlier, adventures that are that you know, overlap genres and there's an overall story arc to them. So there's gonna be right off the right off the bat, um, a bunch of supplemental materials. So it's basically here's the rules, here's the mythos, here's the setting, here's adventures, here's campaigns that you can run in. And that, and that cycle characters continues. Too. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And characters that fit in these campaigns. And actually on the website and the downloads page, there's already you can download all the pre gens that we're running at Dragon Con and that we ran it at Gen Con. So if you want to look at what a completed character looks like you can can and um i think genesee would like the character from escape from the vault which uses her hair to attack everything <laughs> i would i and was she, looking at some of the pictures yeah she's she's up there so if you want to download her character sheet and check it out but um yeah we definitely want to have a lot of content at launch you know one thing that we're finding that i think does appeal to a lot of gamers is the exact point that you made i mean um some of our play tests and and that that last was run in in orlando um folks are like you know i've been creating this campaign for a very long time, but I've really been looking for a system that allows me to do it. Um, and, and this is it. And, and, and we, that it's actually something that we keep hearing over and over, which we didn't quite, you know, intended to be this way when we created the game, but it, it seems to be an incidental thing, which is a very good one. Um, and that is that, um, it, it really gets the, the imagination juices flowing for our GMs in, in, to create games that they wanted to create or campaigns that they wanted to create for a very long time. And, you know, our mythos is, is very, um, it's very typical in the sense that you have, you know, your, you have your main villains, you have competition already built in among houses. Um, but it, it's done in a, in, in such a general sense that you can really make it fit in whatever campaign you want. Um, and we keep hearing that from, from our playtesters. So, so it's encouraging to hear that from you as well. 
And now we're going to move to my segment on Dragon Con, where I recorded three interviews with three players who sat down to play Genesis for the first time. I'll ask them basically the same question each and see what their reaction is and then come back after the game's concluded and see what they thought about the game. So let's go to our first player and uh, see what she thought. Our first guest is Jennifer. She's very difficult to hear in this crowded room, and I apologize for the audio quality, but it's very busy at Dragon Con and difficult to hear. So I'm going to just paraphrase what she said to you uh, so you can really get what she's trying to say. Um, Her name is Jennifer, and she's been playing since she was 16, so about 11 years, and she started with tabletop RPGs. Uh, She lives in a very small town, so she... It's very frustrated, she said, when she runs into D&D and Pathfinder in every game store, and she likes to play indie RPGs if she can find them. Uh, she also has a sister that she plays with, and she picked a character that is very, um, I would call him steampunk kind of gadgeteer, and is the sister of one of the other characters that you'll hear about uh, later on. And she likes that because um, she likes the engineering aspect and, and things like that. So let's move on to our second uh, player. Um, I just want to ask what your basic RPG experience is, and um, I guess why you decided to play this today, uh, to try something new. What made you brave? (laughs) Well, um, that's fine. Um, I've been playing since the uh, late 70s, I guess. I was pretty young at the time. I can't remember exactly, but I started with first edition D&D, played all the editions, um, played Pathfinder, played lots of Star Wars D6. You know, I've played lots of the games that have come and gone. Okay. Uh, right now, one of my favorite games, I guess, is Fate and uh, Dresden Files and those uh, things. But um, I was signed up for a traveler game, but the DM did not show up, and this sounded like an interesting uh, game to try and see if it's any good. Um, so what drove you to kind of pick the characters you did out of all the choices? Oh, I always like the uh, gadgeteer type of hero. He's an inv- supposed to be an inventor, sort of. The okay. Tony Stark uh, archetype. <laughs> Commonality with your with your partner over there, you both brother and sister, and both liking the same kind of character. So nice, thank you. I jump to you if you don't mind. I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask you the same question. Um, I just asked that. If you want to say your name, that's fine. If you don't want to, it's okay as well. Um, just gonna ask you your basic uh, RPG experience okay. and why you decided to sit at the table today. Okay. Um, my name is Brandon Geringer. Um, I started when I was 10, so that's 24 years ago. And we'll be surrounded um, by other First game was Car Wars. Um, Steve Jackson game. Um, I've played D&D 2nd, really is what I cut my teeth on. Uh, D&D 3rd, and then I've played Legend of the Five Rings, Warhammer Fantasy 2nd edition. Um, I've played Slay Industries. I don't know if you want them all. It's a good deal. No, that's definitely good. Um, definitely good. Um, and what, what made you decide to pick the character that you chose today? Um, I could tell that he was probably more advanced, and it seemed like he was a, a priest-like character, so he may have some healing abilities, so maybe you always need that. And um, I just wanted, I didn't really want to pick the, what looked like the big brute, you know, the big muscle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun, but um, might as well push it to the limit, you know, with the character. That it is. But. The double agent aspect's pretty neat, isn't it? Yeah, that is, that is neat. I, I haven't read his full background, but, okay. but that's what they said, so sounds good. Thank you. Do you mind if I ask you some stuff as well? Not at all. Okay. Um, if you'd like to say your name, Ray, um, and just your basic RPG experience, and also why you decided to sit down and join the game today. Okay. I've been playing since I was 10 years old also, which is about... 30 years ago, yeah, 30, 30 years ago. Um, so in that time, I played just about every system you could care to to list or imagine. Um, so, vast. That's and, good. You can definitely help out with some uh, tips and some things you like as well, probably, here. Um, what else did you want to know? Um, just uh, why you chose to play the character that you picked today. Oh, that's easy. Who doesn't want to be Indiana Jones? <laughs> Very true. We all love Harrison Ford. Okay, thank you. And now we're going to return to the table. The game has concluded and uh, the campaign's all done. And talk to some of the people that we interviewed at the beginning that you just heard. Uh, one of which had to get up and leave the table before he could give us a conclusion. But you will hear from our friend Jennifer and two of the gentlemen who recorded uh a few minutes ago. So let's see what their thoughts are at the end of the game and uh, what they thought about Genesis.
So you just finished the game. I was listening to a little bit. It sounded like it, it was exciting. What did you think? And do you have any tips or things that you think could be improved? What's your general thoughts about the gameplay? Um, the general thoughts of the gameplay, I really did enjoy. Um, and by definition, is up there. Yeah, well, the players, it was very dominant, so I didn't yeah, get a lot of time. Yeah, well, no, it wasn't necessarily by choice, but rather just, I didn't, I tried not to be rude, and so then I didn't have a lot of time to talk as much as I really wanted to. But, um, thank you. Okay. Um, I liked it as a total. The problem is, is that this is probably something I will never, ever play in my real life. Okay. Um, which is, two reasons for that one is, one, it's... I don't want to say too complicated because it was really easy to learn. Okay. Um, I always role played with a sister I, I have, and she has, um, you know, she's autistic and takes her time. So I mean, I think it might be too complicated for her with the cards and stuff. But also with the cards and the miniatures, as I said earlier, because I'm in a small town, I'm not going to have anyone play with me. Um, I did have some ideas, and I do want to ask them how much free reign they give to players. Because I mean, I think that you know, if we can like build a little generator or something like that, you know. It shouldn't be that hard. You know, I can make it myself and I can probably, you know, convert the cards into a way that I can play with people online. You know, just by a small, you know, Python generator or something. I want to ask you the same question I asked her. Um, you just finished and it seemed like a pretty good campaign for the little bits I was listening to. Um, what did you enjoy? Did you have a good time? Are there things you think that could be improved? But what's your general thoughts about the system? Um, I like the cards. Okay. Um, I like kind of choices within each round with, uh, like, at the end there, I was able to kind of save the day by choosing the fate, which no one had done so far, using the light aspect. Um, the only thing that I would say that I had some sort of issue with, there's a lot to take in, there's a lot of different dice rolls, so you have to be, I would say you need to be a little bit more of an advanced player, you're not going to, you're going you're gonna to need to know, um, it's, it's almost, you know, it feels like several systems, and you know, people who've played that are more advanced will definitely pull that out of it. Um, there was, I, think it, I think maybe there, it's, it didn't seem as difficult as it, as it might have been. I don't know if it's really trying to go for a much higher um, heroicness, which there's not a lot of failure in. Um, the, you know, I really have, I think my main, main point of concern is the D6. Uh, it's really a 50 chance. Um, and the amount of dice we roll, you're, you're pretty much going to get a lot of success. So I didn't really fail a lot of things. And I, I, I mean, I wonder if uh, maybe a higher, either a higher roll or a higher difficulty. Um, like maybe D10s instead of D6s, or D8s instead of D6s. Um, okay. Now, granted, D6s and D10s, are, you get those in bulk, and that's much more easier to play with than D8s. But, uh, but I think I just, I really, that was probably my only thing that I wonder we didn't really, because we didn't fail much. But overall, I, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed the, the session. I enjoyed the area it was in, the religious aspect of the adventure, the okay. session. Um, but other than that, it was, it was good, and it was, it was surprising. So. Good. Do you think it's something that you would play again, or did you enjoy the story of the campaign enough to maybe look up some different ones? Um, I would definitely play it again. Um, when I have it, you know, in my hands, yeah. uh, you know, read about it and know a little bit more of the, of the rules myself. Uh, I'm a DM game master, mostly that I do play. So uh, just to, to feel the mechanics and get that book in my hand um, would definitely would definitely be. I see it as, a, as an alternative to Gurks uh, or uh, Savage Worlds um, or any other universal setting um, campaign uh, game system uh, with some with a lot of the good from a lot of popular role-playing games in there. I personally play a, uh, a 4E edition of D&D, and I think we're looking at it, not, not speaking for them, speaking for myself, which I'm not really here, in a way to sort of maybe make it a little bit easier for some of our newer players who are having some issues with the rules of 4E, and just be able to just kind of adapt some of the rules and the rolling system but keep the sort of universe of D and D and some I sort of think maybe has some adaptability options right. for my own group, but that's my my group's opinion. So right. so I'm hoping maybe a little crossover. It could be good. I think it would be good. And I've played fourth edition as well. Okay. So. Nice, nice. Yeah, my, my history of uh, talking to the other player here, my history and speaking to you as well, uh, is vast when it comes to role playing games. So I've played many, many role playing games. <laughs> 
And so, uh, while I'm not, like I said, I don't play a bunch, I'm, I run them. Mainly, I'm more focused on the rules. So, I'm not, I'm not a rule warrior or anything, but it, it is a, it is an aspect because I know I'll face it. If it's not, if, it's, if it has holes, if it has issues, um, the only other issue I think is um, that people might have is, is with initiative. Initiative, I think, is always a, an interesting uh, roadblock or it can be very, very helpful. And um, sometimes randomness, the cards can be kind of random. And if you don't have a character that really has control of their initiative or have anything that's going to enhance it, they're going to be, they, there could be times where they don't seem to get that as much. Okay. I felt a little bit in this game, but um, uh, there are, I did find out um, from the guys who made it that there are abilities, a high agility will help you, and there are some uh, facets of your character that can make you go faster. So that's good. There is, it is out there, and it's not just a, a randomness. I like the fact that you could pull a card and see listed on the side five different sorts of die that you could use in case you didn't happen to have, you know, a, a D20 or a D6 at that moment. You could go through the deck and randomly pull and, and get it, you know, your roll from that, which I had never seen before, which I thought was kind of neat. Um, I guess there's a question there somewhere for you. <laughs> right. No, no, I understand. Um, it, it is good. Um, I, I know a lot of people today are using, you know, they have rollers, you know, yes. dice rollers Electronics. on their phones or on their iPads. But um, still, you may find yourself in a situation where you don't want to use that. I don't. I don't really particularly like to use that. I'm, I'm, I'm more old school. But you know, if you are in a place where you don't have dice, as here at DragonCon, there's been some people playing that didn't bring dice, <laughs> which is odd to play a game. So um, no, it is very interesting, and it wasn't too. It wasn't too, um, didn't really muddle the card, you know. It, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, you know. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the, the artwork is going to turn out um, for the final, you know, final. Yeah, good. Me too, thank you. Hi. Um, I wanted to ask you now that you finished the campaign, I guess your thoughts on it. Um, things you like, things maybe you thought uh, you changed, just your general opinion, you can play again, that sort of thing. So, whatever you oh, say. I'd absolutely play again, and I was just telling them how much I, I love the notion of the, of the genre of of pulp stories and, and then making it 1950s rather than the, the traditional, you know, you know, immediate post-World War One era for, for, for pulp genre. It was just perfect. It, it was, you know, it had a very, very great kind of Indiana Jones feel to it, so I, I'd absolutely play it again. I, I thought the mechanic played cleanly and simply. Once we got used to it, the, the cards didn't uh, didn't slow it down, didn't interfere with it. It, it worked well. Um, I, I like it. I, I, I'm enthused. It, it, you know. What's your opinion on the D6? There's been um, some debate. I was talking to some of the other players saying, like, maybe the D6 is... Uh, maybe they need some other different sides of dice and D6 is maybe too simple having a 50-50 shot what's your opinion on that sort? you know the people at Chessex may kill me but I, I the D6 is fine to me it, it's okay I, I played a lot of role playing games that have used it a lot that, that have it it doesn't seem to you know I don't get hung up on the probabilities yeah. overly much you know okay. I only spent two years as a physics major I, I know how thank you Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Okay, now we're going to hear a portion of an interview that I did at DragonCon with the developers. Uh, Juan and Carlos are here. Laz is not because literally he could not get away. The players, uh, once the game was concluded, had so many things that they wanted to talk about. And Laz was the DM for that game. They would not let him leave <laughs> to do the interview. So I have Carlos and Juan with me to talk about their feelings on uh, how the campaign went tonight and uh, what they thought about DragonCon itself. Maybe some places that they're thinking of going in the future. I guess where the game is headed uh, now that we're getting into the alpha testing phase. So let's talk to Juan and Carlos and see what their thoughts are. You guys just finished your uh, Genesis game of the night. If you want to tell the name of the campaign, I don't remember off the top of my head. It's Children of Adrenaline. Four brand new players sat down who had never heard of Genesis, didn't really want to play, to be honest. They kind of just mm-hmm. got drug in here. Uh, and we had very mixed reactions, but all of them, I think, had a positive uh, end to them. Um, we had somebody who was concerned about uh, the ability to not have fate deck, and I think there's some solutions for her that you can talk about, Carlos, for right. people like maybe myself who, uh, who Skype and don't have access to that sort of thing. And then we had someone who was sort of middle ground. He had some critiques, I'd say, about maybe the dice and some other things, but he really enjoyed the game. And then we had a person who was very excited and really thought that this was amazing and he was going to come back and play maybe tomorrow. So I, 
a large kind of varied reaction from a lot of people, but I think all in all, they really enjoyed it. Uh, I'd like to hear your assessment of how you thought the game went, because you obviously were a participant in it. And uh, just, I guess, you know, a little bit about maybe Dragon Con and your thoughts about that. So let's go with you, because you're next to me. Juan. Okay, so, um, yeah, so the thing about the, the session tonight was kind of interesting. We ran um, our first playtests, uh, you know, outside of our gaming groups at Gen Con, and we got such good response that we had kind of at the last minute planned to uh, to run, you know, games at Dragon Con. So the time between the two cons is about a month, and basically within two weeks, you know, we, we scheduled games and got, got tables and this, this, and that, and... Um, Essentially, people weren't aware that we were running these games because they had already printed the program guide, so it wasn't even listed. It was like, if you found this game, it was it was uh, incredible. <laughs> um, so having said that, when it came time to actually run the game, you know, we really didn't have anybody that had already pre-registered for it. So we basically were able to recruit literally the the people that didn't have a game to play, and they came and, and played Genesis and and participated. I think, um, yeah, and I talked to, to one of the ladies who, who said, well, you know, I have an autistic uh, sister that I would love to play the game with, but uh, I don't think she'll get the cards. So, you know, is there something that I can do to, you know, not use the cards for the game? And I said, basically, you know, one of our founding principles is that we're creating a game by gamers for gamers. It's your game. We give you guidelines, we give you rules, but ultimately, if you don't want to use the fake deck, don't. Use dice for initiative. Um, you know, the game will lend itself just as just as well to roll a ten-sided die or a twelve-sided die for initiative than it would to, to use cards. One of the other things that we have, um, we thought about this, is that we had a system that you can still use the fate um, effects that we have in our cards, but to use it to use dice to generate it. So we have in one of our appendices, and it won't be in the alpha because I think of space constraints, but it will be on our core. Um, booklets is that you will have a dice-based system um, and still be able to use the fate by rolling dice. Um, overall, I think the reaction for all the players was very positive, um, or at least three of them uh, stayed behind and talked to us and, and really enjoyed the game. And as a matter of fact, one of my partners is missing because they're still talking. <laughs> um, and we had very good feedback from them. Like every new system, they, they are concerned about certain things that happen in the game, but I think you can't really judge. Overall, they judged the game, they enjoyed it, they want to play some more of it. There were things that happened in the game that made them think, well, maybe this should be changed a little bit. And we welcomed that and we said, you know, go to our forums, register with us at genesisrpg.com, give us that feedback because we want that feedback, we want to perfect it. I think uh, one of the marks maybe of a good game is that people are invested enough emotionally that they're going to say negative or positive things and be emphatic about it. So I would say that the fact that, like you said, through the four staying behind and even those who have maybe something they think should be changed, there was some debate about the six-sided dice versus uh, you know, a d20 or a d10, they're engaged and they're talking to you, which is basically what you want in an alpha, um, you know, just a beginning and, and some people that are going to talk to you and give you tips. So how would you write this, I guess? Uh, would you come back and do more games? Are you looking forward to some more of your cons where you're going to have other people? And what sort of experience uh, do you think you're going to have moving forward doing these RPG sessions in cons? Um, well, a couple of things. First off, I think this was a really, really good test of Genesis because, again, we had people that never heard of the game, didn't even know what it was, and were almost kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll try it. And, and again, um, more than half of them enjoyed it and, and will likely continue to play it and test it. As far as for future cons and future tests, um, we're getting to the point now, we, we've got about 30 playtesters that have the rules and have read the rules and have time to you know digest them, and they're going to start running their games and running their campaigns. And we're going to start to get feedback from them. Um, so while we still will go to cons and attend cons, I think that we're starting to build up a, a large enough fan base and, and tester base that we can start getting really good feedback from those groups of people. What do you think, Carlos? Well, I don't want to discourage anybody from playtesting. One of the things this this game is going to continue to be playtested uh, through the through the alpha through the beta. Um, we want people to register with the forum and give us feedback. I think we will continue to to test the games through our local shops. We'll continue to go to to and, and run games. Uh, Last as a local group that he sort of basically met, he went to a game store, Sci-Fi City in Orlando, grabbed five guys who were just standing around, 
and now they're playing every week. And that's very encouraging to us. There's no one that we've, that we've had in either the 70 people that play tested the game at Gen Con or the small group that, that, that played it here. No one has gotten off the table and been disengaged. They've enjoyed the game enough um, that they've said, you know, there's something here. There's something that we want to try some more. We like it. But, oh, it's an alpha, so let me give you my feedback. And we, um, and we have incorporated the feedback. Um, I mean, minor things, whether uh, a player came back and said, you know, we love the character sheet, it looks great, but I'm going to print it at home and it's killing my, my, my ink. Next day, I mean, we talked to our designer that same day. Next day, we had a black and white um, character sheet up on the website. So this is instant uh, gratification that we're giving back our fans. Because that's, again, gamers for gamers. And, and the game, the mechanics is... And one of the questions that I got was, well, okay, the mechanics are great, but, you know, there's a lot of other great mechanics out there. Why would you play your game as opposed to, you know, why would we play your game as opposed to others? And the, and the, question, and the answer is the support that we're going to give you. Um, the adventures that we're going to provide you, the setting. Um, you know, our system is a universal system, but it's a universal system with a purpose. And we, we sort of touched on that in our first interview um, where we talked about the whole mythology behind it. Right? And, and, and folks, we encourage them to, to go to our website and get the rules and sign up as playtesters. We still have room for them. And they'll get the full version and be able to see that mythology behind it. Um, that's, really, that's really what sets us apart. People don't play games for mechanics. I think if the mechanics work and they like them, um, it's a support that they get um, from whether it's adventures, from whether it's settings, what have you. I think that's what really differentiates us from, from other folks. I think that's really true. I'd never seen it in action before, and it was really fun tonight to see the group play and some people standing up because they were, you know, leaning over the board and <laughs> getting very excited about the miniatures and, and very involved in the story. So that, that was neat to see. And I would say that definitely one of the things I like about this game is that it is flexible enough where, you know, if you're married to Dungeons & Dragons like some of us are, you can sort of take the Dungeons Dragons world you're used to and kind of incorporate the rules and, and the roles and other things that you're using here and still feel like, you know, this is home for me. Mm. And I like that. Uh, I also like to see that there were a whole different set of people that were there. I mean, very different from each other, very different backgrounds. We had somebody who had played, he must have had 20 different RPGs, that, most of which I had never heard of, and then somebody else who was, you know, maybe three or four, and beginning all the way up to advanced, and it seemed like everybody caught on quickly enough and were able to participate, so I thought it was very good. Is there anything you would like to add about the night that something maybe uh, that happened during the game you'd like to share with us, or any sort of, uh, I don't know, ending comments you want to make before we leave DragonCon? Well, the, the one thing I'll say that, that that is very interesting is that everyone everyone that plays this game learns how to play it in 10 or 15 minutes. And that's very important to us, right? Um, there are many, many games that we love and we still play that are a lot crunchier in rules and a lot more detailed in rules. Players can pick that up in 15 minutes with those rules. And that's, I think, the strength of our system, which is exactly what we wanted it to be, is that we want players to be able to pick it up, play it, and then forget about the rules. They really get into the story. And the excitement that I think you saw in people jumping up and down is because they got into the story and they got into their character and they got into what was going on and the rules were not important anymore. So I, I think that's that's really what sets Genesis apart. Absolutely. Um, i just like to close with two things. Um, if anyone listening to your podcast is interested in becoming a playtester, they can email us at gamers at fablestreams.com. And, um, you know, we're always looking for more playtesters. And uh, the second thing is... Um, I really enjoyed, we really enjoyed being on the Gray Air podcast, and you managed to pull off two things that are very difficult. You keep it professional and fun, so thank you. <laughs> thank you, I appreciate that. I also want to add as an addendum, um, I don't know if you want me to talk about this stuff, I'm allowed to, but having seen some of the, I guess, secret backstage art <laughs> for the Fable cards and some of the other things that I feel should be turned into other products that I would like to wear, um, <laughs> That's an exciting thing to look for in the future, and uh, some just really amazing art, and and some really amazing character, uh, you know, representations, and some of the things I'm seeing. So once uh once that comes out on your site, people should check that out and uh, and get excited about the cards coming out. Absolutely. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you very much. And as we leave DragonCon, a thank you to Juan, Carlos, and Laz for being here. You can find them on Twitter at 
Genesis RPG. I'm going to spell that G-E-N-E-S-Y-S RPG or at GenesisRPG.com. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, please email me your questions at GenesisGray at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week with a new episode.